Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, not so subtle. The title Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, it's uh, no longer just Christine Ford. Now it's Deborah Ramirez. Maybe one more, and maybe one more on top of that. As many as four women coming forward with accusations of sexual abuse by Brett Kavanaugh. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Here we are on Tuesday, Tuesday, September 25, believe it or not. Man, this this month has flown by. Uh, we're wrapping up the end of it uh, with uh, so much news to talk about on mainly two fronts. Of course, the continuing circus that the, uh, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination process has become, with more women coming forward, it seems, by the hour uh, with the White House accusing everybody of being political and orchestrating a, a campaign, a smear campaign against Bre- Brett Kavanaugh, uh, and Kavanaugh going so far as to go on the Republican television network to defend himself. Yes, so much for the independence of the judicial system from the political process. Didn't he remind you of Roy Moore? <laughs> That's all I could think of when I saw him last night. Uh, But we've got it all covered, plus the fate of Rod Rosenstein hangs in the balance today. He wasn't fired. He did try to resign, maybe, or was ready to resign. Who knows? Now it all depends on a big meeting between the Deputy Attorney General and the President of the United States on Thursday. And you got to wonder, where is the Attorney General in all of this? Uh, (laughs) Jeff Sessions has just disappeared So much to talk about. We'll get right into it and cover as much as we can with all the good guests that we have and with all of you and look forward to hearing from you, your comments, particularly on what what should happen next in the Kavanaugh Circus uh, by giving us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll jump right in. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to Tokyo, where there will be a new cafe opening that is going to be run by robots. Well, not entirely. Let me explain. The waiters will be robot waiters that will take your order, Mm -hmm. deliver your food, wait on your table, but 
it's the robots are controlled by people with disabilities that keep them from being able to move around. They're going to be at home operating the robots via the internet. Who so cooks the food? They will have actual cooks, but the oh. waiters are going to be robots. And so they have an audiovisual setup that transmits what they're seeing and hearing over the internet to a home of a patient uh, who has, they specifically mentioned uh, a couple of the uh, people that are running it have a motor neuron disease. So they can't walk, uh, they can't carry things, but they can control these robots and they will be taking your order and delivering your food in this cafe in Tokyo. So what's new? I've been waited on by a few robots. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure. Have all the personality of a robot. Depends on how good the service is, I guess. Okay, so we will go to Seawall, Maine, a restaurant story of a different kind. And you think of Maine restaurants, you think of? Lobster. Lobsters, that's right. Well, there's this age-old question of do lobsters feel pain when you cook them, right? And so this uh, restaurant... Charlotte's legendary lobster pound says that what they're doing is they are, I'm, I'm not making this up, they are getting the lobsters high on marijuana. So they don't feel any pain? So they don't feel as much pain. If, in fact, this is the, that, that they do feel pain. The, the uh, uh, restaurant's owner said that they experimented. They put a box uh, with about two inches of water. Marijuana smoke was blown through the water. Uh, into a hole where this uh, lobster got baked, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, remember, marijuana is legal in Maine, and so uh, that they say that this is what they're going to start doing. They think that it's a more humane way to kill these lobsters. I think it's unfair to give it to the lobsters and not to the people who are eating <laughs> lobsters, right? Yeah, exactly. You should get a joint with every lobster. Yeah. <laughs> bake the lobsters and then bake the customer. Happy lobsters. Yeah, right. This is the Bill Press Show. The question is no longer when Republicans are going to vote on Brett Kavanaugh. The question should be when is Brett Kavanaugh going to withdraw his nomination? He certainly does not deserve to be on the Supreme Court of the United States. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we are on uh, a big Tuesday, Tuesday, September 25. Good to be back with you out in San Antonio yesterday for uh, a little talk to uh, a great group of people, the Council of State Retail Associations meeting uh, in San Antonio, uh, those people who are keeping uh, the wheels of government moving at the state level, even if Washington uh, is stuck in uh, total constipation these days. Things are getting done at the state level, thanks to group like the CSRA. Uh, and we thanks, uh, thank you to Peter Ogburn here for keeping uh, things going yesterday while I was gone. But it's good to be back with you. And as always, nothing happens when I'm away. Uh, nothing happened yesterday at all, except that uh, as many as three new women, perhaps, at least one more, uh, reportedly a third and a fourth, came forward with uh, accusations against uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And uh, Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, uh, summoned to the White House to either resign or be fired, and neither one happened, but it is all now put off on hold until Thursday. 
So uh, catching up with you with all of that and getting your comments on all of that, that's why it's good to be back. Great to see you, whether you are joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, or on Free Speech TV. Hello there in TV land. Free, hello, Free Speech. And on the radio, here we are statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, where Joe Donnelly will be reelected as an ex-senator, as, uh, as a U.S. senator from Indiana, and joining you also out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, Chicago. Uh, on WCPT. Great lineup of guests today. Chris Liu from the uh, University of Virginia's Miller Center will be here to bring us up to date on all the news of the day. Graham Weiss, who's now with Governing Magazine, one of our uh, favorite uh, regular report reporter guests, will be here as well with the uh, happenings of the day. And then Melanie Sloan, who is one of the leaders in the Me Too movement, a woman who herself experienced sexual harassment uh, as uh, from a senior Democrat in the United States Congress and did come forward to tell us and answer this question, why don't women come forward earlier? Why don't they report it earlier? Why didn't they? Why didn't Christine Ford, uh, with her own insights into that, Melanie Sloan joining us as well. So we got we, we got lots and lots to talk about. And of course, we start with the Kavanaugh Circus, which really has become a total, total circus. I mean, if you can't believe, you can't believe what happened last night. So here is, this is a justice for the Supreme Court, a person nominated to be a justice of the Supreme Court. And we think of the court as that other branch of government, which is above politics, which just looks at the facts of a case and issues their decision, not Repub not as Republicans, not as Democrats, but a people who follow the Constitution we know what Brett Kavanaugh said in his hearing, you know, that I respect the independence of the judiciary. You know, I'm neither left nor right. I just look at the law and the Constitution, what that requires. That's what we want from our judges. That's the kind of judge I pledge to be. Oh, yeah? No longer. He is now just one more political hack. Kavanaugh, in trouble, looks like just another candidate political candidate whose fortunes have sunk, another political candidate who got in trouble and goes out there on the media to try to defend himself. We've never seen anything like this from any justice uh, nom nominee. And of course, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh, where else is he going to go? He goes on the Republican network on Fox News. Now think about it, okay? I mean, here's Mitch McConnell accusing the Democrats of orchestrating a case against Brett Kavanaugh. You talk about orchestration. Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's nominee, gets in trouble, accused of sexual assault. Donald Trump, who brags about sexual assault, defends him. Donald Trump's communications director is Bill Shine, former president of Fox News. Bill Shine arranges for Brett Kavanaugh. The White House arranged this. Bill Shine, the White House communications director, arranges for Brett Kavanaugh to go on Fox News last night, and Donald Trump tweets out a plug for this Fox News interview with Brett Kavanaugh. Before it happens, be sure to watch this. You talk about orchestration, the whole thing. So Martha McCallum, and here he is, Brett Kavanaugh, sitting there with his wife by his side. Flashback. <clears throat> 
political candidates in trouble. Let's see. Richard Nixon, when he was running for vice president Pat, uh, with Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower. He got in so much trouble and some financial irregularities that Eisenhower was going to dump him. Richard Nixon, with his wife Pat right alongside of him, goes on, I don't know, with the CBS or whatever at the time, uh, and gives his famous checkers speech. Uh, and uh, so Eisenhower finally said, okay, finally, okay, you can stay on the ticket. Uh, flash forward. Bill Clinton gets in trouble over Jennifer Flowers. What does he do? With Hillary sitting by his side, he goes on to 60 Minutes and says, you know, I'm sorry or I didn't do this, whatever it was. And Hillary says, you know, I'm standing by my man. And they recovered from that. Flash forward. Roy Moore. Roy Moore gets in trouble for assaulting teenage girls at the mall down in Alabama. And what does he do? He goes out on the media. I think he was on Fox News defending himself. And now you got Brett Kavanaugh with his wife Ashley by his side last night on Fox News. It is just sick, sick, sick. I think it's a disgrace on the entire Supreme Court process. Makes a political circus of the whole thing. And it's really now become Republican versus Democrat. Wait, you mean this isn't how it normally works? <laughs> yeah, right. Didn't Barack Obama's Supreme Court nominees, uh, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, have to go on Fox News and defend themselves from uh, allegations? Uh, is, this no, how, is this not uh, how it normally not, goes? Not quite. In fact, <laughs> in fact, with Barack Obama, his Supreme Court nominee couldn't even get a hearing. Yeah, true. Couldn't even get a meeting. True. Merrick Garden, talk about orchestration, right? It is just disgusting. Well, the, the way the Republicans are rallying now for, for just partisan reasons. In fact, Donald Trump said yesterday, remember the midterms? Remember the midterms? You know, we got to do this to get our base out in the midterms to prove that we can put another right, extreme right winger uh, on the Supreme Court. So Kavanaugh goes on, uh, on Fox last night with Martha McCallum. The first, and you know, his thing is he denies everything. And more and more stuff has come out. Even his New York Times reports, his yearbook page, right? He's called the king of the kegs on his yearbook page. He's a member of the 100 Kegs Club. Now, there's a lot of drinking going on. And most of his classmates have admitted that. And with a lot of the drinking going on, there was a lot of sexual play going on. They were, they were 17. Uh, do you, uh, I, I mean, I totally believe what Christine Ford says. I believe what Demer Ramirez says. We'll get to that in just a minute. But he last he's, he denies everything. He denies this party even happened. The other people who are alleged to be present have said they do not remember any such party. A woman who was present, another woman who was present, who is Dr. Ford's lifelong friend, Leland. has said... She doesn't know me and never remembers being at a party with me. In fact, he says, he goes on to say, and by the way, uh, TMI here, right? I didn't assault her. I never even had sex until I was, I don't know, well along in college. I've never sexually assaulted anyone. I did not have sexual intercourse or anything close to sexual intercourse in high school or for many years thereafter. Oh, you mean you were a virgin? So Friend? you're saying that all through all these years that are in question, you were a virgin? That's correct. Oh. Never had sexual intercourse with anyone in high school? Correct. And through what years in college, since we're probing into your personal many life years, here? Many years after. I'll leave it at that. Many years after. Uh, okay. Okay. Like, kind of, who cares? 
But that doesn't mean he that does not mean he did not try. Does not mean he did not assault right. Christine Ford. Maybe he's telling the truth, maybe not. It doesn't matter. No one is accusing him of having sex with them. Right. Exactly. Not one. Not uh Deborah Ramirez as we'll see does not and neither did Christine Ford. So he's denying stuff that nobody ever accused him of. Right. Right. Uh yeah. He's also saying I love this that they say they're going to produce the calendars he kept when he was 17 that's going to prove everything. No, it doesn't. I mean, what 17-year-old keeps a calendar of everything that they do and everything you know in their, in their life or everything they might have done wrong? You really think, expect that you're going to open this calendar and say, boy, I, I tried to get in Christine Ford's pants tonight, but... Uh, but it all, you know, it wouldn't happen because Mark Judge jumped on top of me and we fell off the bed and, you know, whatever. No, come on. Yeah, who, who, Ridiculous. It's just not true. There's just no way. It's no. not believable. Like, for them to say during this whole confirmation hearing, there are all these documents that they can't put out and things that they don't have and things he yeah, can't oh, recall. Right. But all of a sudden, when it really, when they really need some sort of document to prove that this didn't happen. Oh, look here. Look oh, at this. Yeah, look got... at this calendar I oh, yeah. kept when I was 17 years this old. calendar that he documented everything he did from the time he was 15 until he was 19. Baloney. It's crazy that he, that, that yeah. he, it's not, like, I don't believe that he wrote it. I don't believe that he kept it. I don't believe any of it. It's the worst excuse that he could possibly come but, up with. But if he did, it was sporadic, maybe. Yeah. A football game tonight, right? Whatever. Maybe. We beat Georgetown or something, or we beat some, whatever. I, I just mean, two. I, I just mean, know. he didn't put it in his, to his calendar a, a drunken party. A drunken party, party. exactly. Exactly. Uh, but he did admit, he did admit one thing. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of drinking going on. The drinking age was 18, and yes, the seniors were legal and had beer there. And yes, people might have had too many beers on occasion. And people generally in high school, I think all of us have probably done things we look back on in high school and regret or cringe a bit. But I, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. So there, there you go. In fact, I thought Jeff Tubin, uh, I said, you told you before, I think he's the best legal analyst on television, uh, on CNN. And he said yesterday, the idea... <laughs> this is the idea. This is a nominee nomination process for the Supreme Court of the United States, and that the nominee would go on Fox News of all places to defend himself to the American people. What has happened? Here's Jeff Tubin. Fox News, really? Well, I mean, you know, that's that's where Supreme Court justices are now expected to appear. I mean, I just think, you know, there is at least the nominal appearance of nonpartisanship that is usually required of Supreme Court justices to go on Republican television and, you know, but you just get to go on weeping. television well, is I know, strange. But, you know, go on the Today Show, go on, you know, mm-hmm. 2020 or something. But to go on the Republican network, mm-hmm. I think, is pretty unusual. I, it I is do, even I do more think, weird. But I think- so we've heard, we haven't heard, we, we, we know about Christine Ford, um, the, uh, Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, did finally agree to delay of the hearing from yesterday till Thursday. They still have to work out some details, particularly about who will ask her questions. Uh, but we've said all along, so we're going to hear from Dr. Christine Ford at this point. By the way, things could change <laughs> before the end of this program. Uh, or certainly before the end of the day. At this point, uh, both she and Brett Kavanaugh are to testify separately. 
uh, on Thursday in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, and we've said, part we've said from the beginning, how long before somebody else comes forward? Oh, over the weekend, uh, somebody else Sunday night, someone else did come forward. This is the Deborah Ramirez mentioned earlier. Uh, she uh, uh, alleges and talks about another, uh, sec- I think you can call it sexual assault, more than harassment. Uh, what she says is that, again, at a drunken party when he was a student at Yale, uh, at a party in the dorm, uh, Brett Kavanaugh exposed himself, shoved his drunk, shoved his penis in her face, made her touch it. Uh, and then she says uh, people were bragging about what he had done uh, in front of other classmates at the time. Deborah Ramirez, that was reported uh, in uh, the New Yorker magazine by Ronan Farrow and uh, Jane Mayer, who, by the way, is a, an outstanding investigative reporter. Uh, they stick by their story. And, of course, now the um, then there is a Michael Avenatti, we know, Stormy Daniels' attorney, uh, has said that he has another client, yet a third woman, who is willing to testify to, or to speak to the FBI, alleging that she was assaulted by same young man, Brett Kavanaugh. We don't know her name. We don't know any details. And then on top of that, there was a report yesterday from the Montgomery County Sentinel that the Montgomery County police have been approached by yet a fourth woman in Montgomery County who also, uh, who also um, uh, has stories uh, and charges of sexual assault against the, the Brett, uh, by Brett Kavanaugh. When she was a teenager, we have again don't know anything about that. Don't know the name. There could be, there could be a third woman. There could be a fourth woman. There could be, but there are at least two now. By the way, nobody's talking about having Deborah Ramirez testify. Why not? I mean, sure, we're going to have Christine Ford. I think Deborah Ramirez should have a chance to tell her story too, under oath. You know, let's find out. Have Brett Kavanaugh defend himself against both of them. You know, it's important to remember in these uh, sexual assault cases, it is rarely, rarely, if ever, is it just one victim, right? Like Totally. They, totally. Th- this is a no. pattern for, for men. Uh, and I think that's what's significant here is we're starting to see a pattern, not just one isolated incident. Right. Which takes it to a whole new level. Whole new level. Uh, and, of course... In the midst of all this, the Republicans now have really dug in their heels. They've got their talking point now that they're all repeating, which is, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, Mitch McConnell saying this is all orchestrated. Uh, Kelly Ann Conway, of course, the chief propagandist, and who's, she's become the chief propagandist at the White House, who was out there yesterday morning saying, I, I love this. This is part of a vast left-wing conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> shades of Hillary Clinton, the vast right-wing conspiracy about the Monica Lewinsky thing. And then Donald Trump, uh, who called Mitch McConnell yesterday and said, you got to force a vote on this. Stop stalling. Stop delaying. Get this thing done. Donald Trump telling reporters up at the U.N. yesterday, it is all political. For people to come out of the woodwork from 30 30- Six years ago and 30 years ago and never mentioned it. All of a sudden it happens. In my opinion, it's totally political. Yeah, totally political. Totally political. Yeah, guess who's made it totally political. Uh, And again, Donald Trump does see this as the key. In fact, 
Uh, here's one thing I don't get. Clearly, Republicans believe, and Mitch McConnell said yesterday, that no matter, no matter what happens, he's going to have a vote on the floor. Even if he were rejected by the, he's going to have a vote on the floor forcing every senator to vote on this because he thinks that will embarrass the red state Democrats and, and force them to vote no. You know, I, I, now look, I'm, I have never been asked to um, by Mitch McConnell for his advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, no Republican senators have called me for my advice, but I think they got it ass backwards. You know, I think the fact that these at least two women now have come forward makes it a hell of a lot easier for the red state Democrats to vote no. Claire McCaskill has already said she's going to vote no. How could Joe Donnelly, how could Heidi Heitkamp vote for Brett Kavanaugh given the stories of these two women, at least these two and maybe four? How could they? And by the way, if it makes it, it does make it, I think it makes it easier for them. I think it makes it a hell of a lot harder for the Republicans to vote for him now, for Susan Collins, for Lisa Murkowski, for Jeff Flake, for Bob Corker, at least those, and maybe there are a couple of others that are waffling. I mean, forget about Orrin Hatch. Forget about Lindsey Graham, by the way, who's the biggest sellout of all. Lindsey Graham has already said, he, like, Lindsey, no matter what she says yeah. at this Thursday hearing, Lindsey Graham says, he's yeah. not going to ruin his life. Yeah, of course. I want to hear from her. She's got a right to tell her story, but I don't care what she says. I'm voting for Kavanaugh. That was Lindsey that's what Graham. he said. That's, yeah. that's what he said, yeah. literally. That's the kind of guy you want on the Senate Judiciary Committee? Right. Um, so I think that it looks like they're going to try, no matter what happens, they're going to try to force this thing through. You know, it, it, it reminds me of, of the myth of Paul Ryan of being this great big policy wonk, and it turns out he has no idea what he's talking about. Everyone talks about Mitch McConnell as this seer of seers right he knows everything oh, yeah. that happens yeah. and yeah. he could absolutely step into a giant pile if he tries to force this through because you're right none of the red state democrats will vote for brett kavanaugh i don't I, see how they i, can. I don't think i don't uh, see how they can no, no. and if if susan collins does she's toast absolutely she's done absolutely same with lisa murkowski yep absolutely right so I tell you, I, I and I've got a, a column. We'll put that out on uh, for those of you who follow us on Twitter and 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 uh, on Facebook. My column in the Hill today says I think we've come to the point where there's only one solution right now. I mean, forget the process. Don't even hold this hearing on Thursday. I think another hearing is a farce at this point. The only thing that should happen is to for, to to protect the dignity and to preserve the dignity of the Supreme Court and to save the Republicans from any any further embarrassment. The only thing that happens, should happen right now is Brett Kavanaugh should step down. Brett Kavanaugh should withdraw his nomination. He should do the right thing. He should recognize he's toast, recognize this is a monumental circus embarrassment. He doesn't belong on the Supreme Court, uh, and he ought to just step down. And, you know, don't tell me Donald Trump can't find somebody else. Then we'll deal with that nominee. In the meantime, we've got an, uh, an embattled deputy attorney general. According to the New York Times, which Rod Rosenstein, deputy attorney general, denies, he was so um, upset by the chaos at the White House and so worried about it in the light of the wake of the firing of James Comey last uh, in the spring of 2017 that Rosenstein even suggested, according to the New York Times, to a couple of colleagues that maybe when he goes went to the White House the next time to see the president, he should wear a wire to tape their conversation. <laughs> well, Omarosa did. Why not? Or she did with her cell phone. 
Uh, and he, and also that he, perhaps jokingly, perhaps sarcastically, maybe not, thought suggested that maybe he should start talking to some cabinet members to line up enough votes to invoke the 25th Amendment, which I find it hard to believe that he could really suggest because Mike Pence is a guy that has to start that process, and I think Rosenstein knows that Mike Pence would never do it. At any rate, uh, that story came out. Rosenstein denies it. But it has, of course, the White House now in, <laughs> in a jam as to what they do with Rosenstein, who is, as Deputy Attorney General, because Jeff Sessions recused himself, he's the man in charge of the Robert Mueller investigation. So Rosenstein summoned to the White House yesterday to meet with Chief of Staff John Kelly. Reportedly, he went, he went down there with his resignation in hand and either made it or offered to to uh, present it to John Kelly, who said, uh, no, we're not going to do that right now. It's just in limbo at this point uh, because Donald Trump, uh, who's up at the U.N. in New York, 200 miles away, whatever it is, uh, has delayed things until Thursday when he's going to meet with Rod Rosenstein and talk about it. He told reporters yesterday, looking forward to his meeting with Rod on Thursday. We want to have... Transparency. We want to have openness, and I look forward to meeting with Rod at that time. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but um, I got to tell you, my reading is that they will fire Rosenstein because he's in charge of the Russian investigation. It will be it will be Trump's. He's been looking for an opportunity. He's been talking about firing Rosenstein for a long time. This is an opportunity for him to get somebody else who is more amenable in charge of the Mueller investigation. Or, to use the correct phrase, it's one more opportunity for him to obstruct justice. Yeah, that's what this is really all, is all about. And yeah. we've said for a while, I, I don't think it was a matter of if Donald Trump is going to try and get rid of Robert Mueller. It's just a matter of when. And this right. is definitely a step in the direction of shutting down the, the Robert Mueller investigation. Right, right. And if he gets the right person in charge of it, because remember that Rod Rosenstein or whoever is there, once Mueller completes his work, that person de decides whether the report that Mueller comes up with remains secret, uh, is sent to the White House alone, or is sent to Congress, or is made public, or it could just be buried. That's why that's a very, very important decision. And I do have to ask, as I indicated earlier, you got to wonder, in this whole conversation for the last couple of days now about Rod Rosenstein and what happens to him and everything, there's not been one word about Jeff Sessions, the attorney general. So remember, Rod Rosenstein works for Jeff Sessions, but he's out of the picture entirely. It's John Kelly at the White House. It's Donald Trump who's going to be meeting with Rod Rosenstein, not Jeff Sessions, because Donald Trump has already said, as far as he's concerned, he doesn't have an attorney general right now. Oh, that's right. Right. That's right. Rod Sessions. So... Man, see what I mean? It was a busy day yesterday, busy day over the weekend. We're catching up with it here today, and we'll do so more with the help of Chris Liu from the University of Virginia's Miller Center uh, coming up next, former U.S. Deputy Secretary of Labor. So stay tuned. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't forget, we want to hear from you, your comments on the whole Kavanaugh thing. Should he withdraw his nomination? Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Tuesday, September 25. How about it? And lots and lots going on here in the uh, 
world of politics, particularly here in Washington, D.C. And certainly after um, Donald Trump has said that, um, in effect, called Christine Ford and Deborah Ramirez uh, a liar, saying it's all political. Uh, one more reason to add <laughs> to uh, the 100 that are already in the book, Trump must go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Remember, go to our website, BillPressShow.com, not only to find out how you can get your copy uh, of the book, but also to uh, enlist and be part of the process and add your reasons. We've got had, had a lot of them added up on the website, BillPressShow.com. Uh, it's certainly there are certainly more than 100 reasons. I've already added more of my own. There are two or three more every day. Be part of that process. Go to BillPressShow.com and add on. Uh, Chris Liu joins us from a former Deputy Secretary of Labor uh, here under President Barack Obama and now with the University of Virginia's Great Miller Center. Hey, Chris, good to see you. It is great to be here. Congratulations on the book. How about it? Yeah, I, I, I'm fine. amazed you did stop at 100. So. I know. It was tough. That was the discipline. It took a little <laughs> discipline to stop there at uh, 100. Otherwise, the book would have been like 900 yeah, pages long, right? Yeah. Uh, we've been uh, talking about um, Brett Kavanaugh and also about Rod Rosenstein. Chris, want to get your take on both of them uh, and some of our viewers weighing in. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Art Rochester says the Senate GOP must find their integrity and vote Kavanaugh down. I wouldn't hold your breath for the GOP to find their integrity. Uh, R.B. Blair says we are past the time to, quote, not ruin his life. We passed that a week ago. Brett Kavanaugh needs to withdraw his name from consideration for the Supreme Court now and leave his job on the appellate court. Also, uh, Matt says, what kind of law is it that can only be upheld or rejected, not on the basis of right or wrong, good or bad, but on a fraudulent Republican majority of Congress? And one final comment on Brett Kavanaugh. KG says, but Brett Kavanaugh is Donald Trump's get-out-of-jail-free card. Few are willing to be that. Lots of comments on Twitter. Find us there at BP Show. Uh, we will uh, check them out and read them. Yeah, keep them, keep them coming. We'll check in again and uh, give you more comments a little bit later uh, in the show. So, Chris, I mean, the latest, th this has really become, I mean, a real circus now and a total political battle. I mean, Kavanaugh going on Fox News, of all places, <laughs> last night, right? I and, mean, and, and he said he, had, he was a virgin through high school and I think a part of college, which I think is information none of us really yeah, needed to know. TMI. TMI. You know, look, it, I, if you were going to devise a legislative strategy to confirm Kavanaugh or a political strategy to sway votes, the White House is doing this all completely wrong. I think, as you just mentioned, coming out and prejudging what these uh, the veracity of these women is just the wrong way to do it. Let them tell their story and the stories will, will either stand up or they won't stand up. And I think right now, as you mentioned, they're making it way too easy for red state Democrats to oppose Kavanaugh. They're giving uh, Murkowski and Collins again. Who knows what will happen? Every reason to vote against them as well. I mean, they've played this completely wrong at this point. Right. Um, and um, now that we have another woman come forward and then the question is always raised. Why did it take so long? I mean, I can't believe yeah. that we're still asking that question yeah. after you see the way Anita Hill was treated. You see the way that Christine Ford is treated. You see the way that now Deborah Ramirez is being treated, right? They're called liars. They're called sluts. They're called whatever, right? Uh, 
And for Trump to say, oh, if it was serious as I, as she says it is, why didn't she immediately call the FBI? I mean, that that's exactly get it. right. This is exactly the point of the Me Too movement: is that women have ho- suffered horrible abuse and never reported it. The idea that a 15-year-old girl was going to report something to the FBI, which mind mind you, is yeah. not actually in most cases a federal crime. I think rape is actually a federal crime or assault in some contexts, but generally is not. It's just absurd. Also, to know how to get to the FBI or think, you know. Exactly. And so. even tell our parents and their reasons why, right? Again, we, we, you know, we we see that. And uh, it's so difficult when they do come forward. I certainly understand why more women have not come forward or why they wait so long. And I think you have to say when they finally do and are willing to face all that, they don't do it lightly. And they don't do it unless they're telling the truth. Well, exactly. There's no incentive for somebody to get out there and lie and destroy their own reputation. And Dr. Ford will, whatever happens with this nomination, that she will live with that for the rest of her life. And why would anybody of of, a rational mind do that? Right. Um, So the um, what do you think the Republicans are going to do? You know, I look, I think a lot of it. I think they're I, I'm still on the fence as to whether Thursday even happens. I mean, I think there is, you know, again, I think if you're the, right. I, think- I mean, you know, Avenatti now says he's got a third person out there and, you know, who knows what he's got. Um, it, it's with with people like this. Again, we'll we'll say these are allegations. It's never just one allegation. There's multiple. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what else comes out of the uh, woodwork in the next couple of uh, days and you know whether the pressure does build on Kavanaugh. The only way the pressure, frankly, would build on Kavanaugh if somebody like Collins, Flake, Murkowski signals we're just not voting for this person. And they and McConnell, you know, is playing a game of chicken right now. He thinks he's got the votes. He thinks he can uh, not only get the votes, but he can use this to his political advantage. At the point where he thinks he's putting his members in danger, uh, I think it gets pulled. But we got two days. A couple of questions. Why won't they take the time to have the FBI investigate the charges first? Right. I mean, this is the crazy thing. This is what the FBI is supposed to do. And it's obviously they did it for Anita Hill. It's exactly what they did for Anita Hill. Lying to the FBI is a felony. And so it, it the onus that is then on not only Kavanaugh, but Ford, but Ramirez and whoever else right. comes forward right. to tell the right. truth. Uh, as Michael Flynn pain, <laughs> uh, painfully has learned, lying to the FBI gets you in trouble. And this is what the FBI does Judge Papadopoulos. This doesn't take very long to do an investigation like this. The other funny part is that you're going to do a hearing where one of the key witnesses, Mark Judge, is not there. And I don't know if you saw the Post story. They they found Judge. In Bethany Beach, Delaware. Right. With with a car full of rumpled clothes and Superman comics. I'm not sure. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about the Superman (laughs) comics. The Superman comics. And he's hiding out in Bethany. And he, Uh, he. By the way, may I just interrupt you for a second? I also spent the weekend in Bethany Beach, <laughs> Delaware. With a bunch of Superman comics. <laughs> I, I took my Superman comics. I did, did. I was not with Mark Judge. I just went to record the show. And I did not see Mark Judge. So I went to Cole's Ice Cream for uh, a soft cone after dinner on Friday night. I did not see Mark Judge in line. Bethany is one of my favorite places. And now it's forever going to be associated with Mark Judge and the Superman comics. Um, no. And so, you know, if you're going to do this, the FBI... Needs to invest. Needs to yeah, interview I mean, all of the possible witnesses, including people like Mark Judge. And it wouldn't take that long. I mean, it might take it a, not take delay it for a week or something. Yeah, the post right. found him in Bethany. And then why won't they call Mark Judge? Because Mark Judge is certainly whatever he he, he may not remember that particular incident, right? Uh, honestly, may right. not remember because he was drunk. But he certainly could testify to the fact that there were a lot of drunken parties, right? And that 
uh, as he called him, uh, Bart O'Cavanaugh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> was his buddy in long time. One thing we haven't talked about yet is that, uh, and the New York Times has a big piece this morning on it, uh, people have gone back to look at the yearbook from Georgetown Prep when uh, Brett Kavanaugh graduated and the comments on his yearbook page, which, again, gives some little insights into uh, he was a party animal. He, he was. Look, the, nothing again, nothing wrong with that. It's just it, you know, it just puts things a little more in context. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for folks that have not seen it, it is in The New York Times. It's worth taking a look at. I mean, Kavanaugh graduated from Georgetown Prep, which is a very nice private school. Um, they say North Bethesda. We basically say that's Rockville uh, in 1983. <laughs> as, as somebody who grew up in Rockville, Maryland, oh, okay. um, I, I, ended, right. I ended up tweeting about this last night. And if there's enough popular demand, I, I went and pulled my own yearbook photo and entry to see what I listed. Um, and I, it was high school debate. It was newspaper. I certainly wasn't bragging about drinking women. Uh, apparently, there were KKK references in yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really kind of this. KKK frat... were kegs, right? Or yeah. Not... I, you know, and there, there were these references. Um, it, it was kind of a, a frat house kind of feel to their high school yearbook. And, and I know there's one thing that sort of jumped out. 100 at keg, you. He was a member of the 100 kegs or bust yes. team. Yes. Right. That's on his page. Um, a, a, a lot of references to sports and booze right. on, on his page. Right. And then an unfortunate reference to a woman. Um, he was listed as a renate alumnus. Right. Uh, and she was, she's a young girl at the time who was there. His name is given by the New York Times. Yeah, so Renate, apparently she, she went to, uh, you know, Georgetown Prep is an all-male school. She went yeah. to a female Renate school. Right, she went to a um, an all-girls school nearby. And, you know, I think it's like more than a dozen, 14, uh, I will say boys at Georgetown Prep, listed themselves as Renate alumni. I think a lot of people, when they saw that, thought, oh, this is a club they belong to, some other school. Um, they were they, alluding to the fact that somehow they had all scored with right, Renee. Exactly. And the crazy part about it, if I'm recalling this correctly, is she had actually signed the letter supporting Kavanaugh, did not even didn't know that, know that did not even was... know that she was basically the butt yeah. of abuse in the yearbook and is now appalled by it. And that just sort of you know, look, I mean, boys, there is a boys who will be boys. There is a, you know, uh, but if you put the whole thing together, um, it starts to tell a pretty interesting story. Yeah. Um, so it looks like McConnell is determined to force a vote. Uh, you know, he's determined to force a vote until at this he doesn't. Point. At this point, right. And I think, you know, as we, as you just talked about, we had a, we had a pretty uh, long day yesterday uh-huh. of news, and so who knows what comes up today. Right. By the end of this program, there could be, there could be no more. hearing on yeah. Thursday or, or whatever. Um, let's talk about something else that's in the news. Does Rod Rosenstein still have a job, so far as we know? And how long will he have it? I mean, this was one of the you know most amazing things yesterday. I mean, I'm you know I'm on my phone. I'm sure like everyone else is, and you're getting breaking news alerts from Politico, Washington Post, New York Times. Some say he's resigned. Some say he's being forced out. It some was, say he's offering his pe- resignation. People were all over the place. <laughs> and there he goes for a into few it, hours. you know the, one of the most anticipated meetings of him going to the West Wing to meet with John Kelly, and then staying in there for an inordinately long time, coming out. Potentially still with a job, although he has to meet with Trump on Thursday, which is concerning on a lot of levels. You do wonder what Trump will try to extract from Rosenstein for Rosenstein to keep his job. Although at this point, you have to wonder why Rosenstein still wants his job because he just gets 
pilloried by the right wing on a daily basis. Right. And by by Trump, who and by said Trump before as well. that and he by Trump w- as well. talked about re- uh, uh, firing him before. Yeah, and you know, you've, you raised the, uh, an interesting point. I mean, it, it's right now Rosenstein is supervising the Mueller investigation because uh, Sessions yeah. has recused himself. If that were, if Rosenstein were to leave, um, again, there, Rosenstein's the number two. There is no number three at the, uh, at the Department of Justice because that woman has left. So we go to the number four, which is the Solicitor General. Uh, and obviously, if Trump does fire Sessions, as people think he will after the midterms, you'd have the number one, two, and three jobs of the D- Justice Department empty. Uh, and, you know, potentially with a Democratic Senate, very hard to confirm anyone for those jobs. Uh, should we believe, despite his denials, that, that Rosenstein might have joked one time about wiring, <laughs> uh, taping the president, or um, maybe <laughs> trying to get enough votes for the 25th you know, Amendment? That was one of the funny things. Again, I don't not that I watch Fox News, but to watch the Fox News reaction on Friday to these allegations, they were trying to figure out, look, is Rosenstein a traitor because he's taping the president? Or is this kind of a setup because Andrew McCabe is trying to leak this? to get Trump to fire Rosenstein so Democrats, you know, and I, I honestly, I, I don't know, uh, but it, it's, it's amusing. And then you see Laura Ingram tweeting about it. Then you see Sean Hannity coming out the other direction, telling Trump he should not fire. It, it is, it is, it's, it's interesting and, and troubling to watch that right wing TV spectacle and then all as a way to influence the president of the United States. Right. But, you know, if, if he, <laughs> If he wants to shut down, which he does, the Mueller investigation, I mean, um, getting rid of Rosenstein, he almost doesn't have to fire Robert Mueller because then whoever whoever sits in that overseeing the investigation could just bury Mueller's report. No, you're absolutely right. right? And look, I mean, that's the, the risk that I see. I mean, Rosenstein has had one of the most challenging jobs over the last 20 months. I mean, he has been able to walk this tightrope. He's under constant criticism from the House Republicans. He's, I think, in my opinion, given far too much doc, far too many documents to the House Republicans. But he's done that as a way to sort of protect the Mueller investigation. And you have to seriously wonder what happens to the investigation, whether before the report is released or after the report release, if you don't have somebody there protecting it like Rosenstein is. But I will say this, though. It is not Rod Rosenstein's job to save the republic. Ultimately, that's Congress as a co-equal branch. Right, and right. that is ultimately one of the biggest failures. I mean, there has been legislation that I think even Chuck Grassley wants to mark up that would protect the Mueller investigation, and that can't get uh, done on the Senate floor. Look, I would say to Democrats, and you know, I'm a loyal Democrat. If I were to say to Democrats, I'd say, you know, your leverage right now is on these spending bills that we need to get done. I mean, Republicans are keen to throw all kinds of riders into these legislation, throw mm-hmm. a Mueller protection uh, provision into there and, and, and dare Trump to shut down the government over that. That might be a little extreme. Uh, but look, uh, if Congress were doing its job, we wouldn't be worrying as much about the Mueller investigation at this point. Um, I think it was uh, Senator Blumenthal, right, Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut yesterday, uh, who kind of put this uh, in context. And you're right, there has been legislation, bipartisan, Mm -hmm. to protect Robert Mueller. uh, And uh, Blumenthal says, now's now's the time. It is nothing more than an effort to obstruct justice if he is fired. And my hope is that... My Republican colleagues will rise to the challenge, a direct attack on our democracy, a break the glass moment. Yeah, so it, it, that legislation is needed, and there's no better time. They better do it quick. You right? know, and we keep and we keep getting these statements of 
both assurance and concern from Republicans saying, well, you know, Trump won't fire Comey. Trump won't revoke security clearances from John Brennan. And, and, and then he does it. Um, and so they've kind of put this red line. They, he does it. And then they, there's no repercussions to that. So, you know, again, yesterday you have people like Cornyn saying, well, look, I don't think he's going to fire, you know, a Mueller. I, I don't know on what basis he has that uh, confidence. And, and if he does, what are you going to do about it? Um, and so the legislation is desperately needed at this point And the fact that they can't pass that. And when you look at the legislation, I would even argue it's frankly a little too soft. Essentially, I think what it says is. If Mueller releases investig- uh, report, um, I think it goes to Congress and Congress has the ability to release it. So it's, it doesn't stop you from any mm-hmm. investigation, but it simply takes all the materials and has a, a venue, a recourse for it to become made public. And as I mentioned, uh, Sessions hasn't been part of these conversations uh, at all, right? The meeting was with Kelly. The meeting Thursdays with Trump. Exactly. And Sessions is at least arguably Rosenstein's boss still. <laughs> well, as Even Trump though, says, he doesn't have an attorney general. Yeah, so. Trump, he doesn't have an attorney, which pr- makes it pretty clear that officially he won't have an attorney general as soon as the midterms are Well, over. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, as you move around, uh, by the way, on, on this sort of related, um, totally uh, outside of Washington, but today is also the day that Bill Cosby will find out um, – <laughs> How much time, if any, he's going to be serving in prison? What do you expect? Well, look, the I mean, prosecutor the prosecutors have asked for like five to ten years. To and, 10, and yeah. you know, that for a man who's 81 years old, that's essentially a life sentence. You know, it is an interesting thing. Uh, and again, I, you know, we go back to the Me Too movement where we started this, where this country has gone. And, you know, uh, we can lament that for something like Kavanaugh. We haven't made the kind of progress. But when you see what has happened to Bill Cosby, he's been convicted and of one of the crimes. And apparently this is one of a series. Um, oh, there, there is the there, number there, of women. I right. also, like it's up to 60. I well, think. that's what we say. There's never one allegation. There's multiple. Yeah, there's yeah. always multiple people when these things happen. Um, you know, look, it's obviously a sad moment. Uh, you know, as a as somebody who grew up watching the Cosby show, we all did. It was a transformative uh, show in our country's history. Uh, and, you know, I even grew up listening to Bill Cosby's comedy records uh, and obviously mm-hmm. Fat Albert, you know, but, you know, th- this, I think, shows where this country has gone. And so it's a sad day in some respects, but it's also, I think, a powerful day about how far we've progressed. But also how far we've progressed in terms of particularly the strength of the Me Too movement uh, in in almost every aspect of American life, right? Whether it's entertainment, uh, Wall Street, Hollywood, you know, um, professional sports, academia, everywhere but <laughs> but the United States Senate, right? Particularly you know. the Republican Caucus in the United well, States. Well, and let's Senate, go back. I mean, are, if you look at, I think Chuck Grassley and and Orrin Hatch, rep- they were there, right, for Anita Hill, and they're there today, and they haven't learned one damn thing. Well, that was the remarkable quote from Hatch yesterday talking about the Ramirez allegations. He, he He's asked about it. He says, I just don't believe in it. They just, they said, why do you say that? Well, it just didn't happen. It's like, I, why Orrin Hatch out of hand dismisses these allegations? Called it phony. Phony. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and let's not forget, I mean, less than a year ago, Donald Trump, you know, campaigned vigorously for Roy Moore, notwithstanding some very credible allegations as well. Um, there are a very long list of sexual predators who Trump has um, embraced during his career. And not only that, as a candidate, when these 20-some women came forward accusing him of sexual harassment or sexual assault, um, you know, he just said none of it ever happened, and he was going to sue every one of them as soon as he was president, right? Look, I, which I, he hasn't done. But it, that's his, his whole thing is almost the Kavanaugh approach. Deny, deny, deny. 
And, and what has been remarkable, if you take into the like what we think about the midterms, uh, the support for Kavanaugh, the support for the Republican Party has just dropped among not only independents, but among women, suburban women in general. And that continues a longer trend who just they just feel like, look, this party doesn't speak for me anymore, that we know these allegations. We know these incidents happen. We know that the vast majority of people, victims, don't report this. And when we do stand up and say something, we're instantly attacked. It's reprehensible. Well, there's a question I raised in the last half hour right toward the end. Um, which is that Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, right, are proceeding on the basis that forcing a vote on Brett Kavanaugh is important to help Republicans in the midterms. Well, they've really <laughs> they they've already lost their ability to weaponize this against the Claire McCaskills and the Joe Donnellys because now they've given them every excuse. And the more they push this, ironically their support among these suburban women who they need to hold some of these house seats is going to continue to erode. I mean, this is, like I said, everything they're doing to confirm Kavanaugh and to build public support, they're doing it exactly the wrong way. Vote for us, right? Because we're the party that supported, well, first put Donald Trump in the White House, but we're the party that supported Roy Moore, and we're the party that supported, despite those accusations, and we're the party that supported Brett Kavanaugh, despite those accusations. And that's why you should vote for us, the Republican Party. I, I don't see that as a winning message. Now, I, obviously, I'm a Democrat too, but if you are losing suburban women, Republican women, which they are, and we've seen, I, I don't think this brings them back. But it's the old Donald Trump playbook, and this comes out in the Bob Woodward book, and you know his his approach to dealing with this is always to attack, never concede. And this is what he's doing, and he's and, and he's doing this to his own political detriment at this time. Uh, as a member of the DNC, you travel around the country. Uh, what does your gut tell you about uh, Democrats' chances of taking back the House? You know, look, the polls are fantastic. The amount of money our candidates have is fantastic. Um, I've, I've had a chance to meet so many of them doing fundraisers with them. I mean, it is some of the most impressive people I have ever met. And so enthusiasm is strong. But look, today is National Voter Registration Day. People need to get out there, um, not only make sure you're registered to vote, confirm you're registered, make sure everyone you know is registered. Um, and then from now until the next, I think we're at 42 days left, um, you know, make a plan for GOTV weekend because we can take nothing for granted. Uh, I saw the other day a number, um, I used this in the speech I gave yesterday in San Antonio, that in the 31 states that held Democratic primaries for Congress this year, Democratic turnout was 84 percent higher than it was four years yeah, ago. It's astounding. I mean, I you know, I look at that's, um, that's what it turnout, turnout, turnout. Right. That's you know, what it's all about Don Byer, who I know comes on the show a lot. I love him. Don did a fundraiser um, a couple weeks ago where it was all four of the House, the, the women House challengers in Virginia. Uh, were there. And, you know, obviously you have somebody like Jennifer Wexton uh, in Virginia 10, which is a seat that we should win, talking about the great enthusiasm. Uh, but you had Leslie Coburn, who's running in Virginia 5, which is out in mm -hmm. Charlottesville. And she says they have hundreds of people showing up for their canvassing, you know, people who have never gotten involved, Republicans um, who now see the importance of having a check on Donald Trump. And so the enthusiasm is through the roof. 
obviously the gerrymandered districts do minimize in some respects the amount of the wave. Uh, but I believe the wave will be pretty powerful. House looks good. Any chances of taking back the Senate? Oh, I mean, absolutely. When you be, between, you know, you look at two very decent pickups in Arizona and Nevada. Um, I think the challenge, and 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 I look at the rest of the red state Democrats, who I think are in pretty decent shape. I think the challenge we have right now is in Florida. Um, yeah. Ironically, and and in some ways, what may save the Republicans is Rick right. Scott because the amount of money you need to compete in that state in Florida could be used in a lot of other places. Uh, Andrew Gillum may also um, be, will will certainly help Bill Nelson. Uh, I uh, talked to a couple of people from Tennessee yesterday at this meeting in oh, San Tennessee, Antonio. I forgot about that one, too. Tennessee, they say yeah. Bredenson. Everybody likes Bredenson. They don't like uh, Marsha Blackburn. That, that, that That's looking good, too. Hey, Chris, you're doing great work. Thanks oh, thank so you. much for coming Always in. happy. Covered a lot of territory. Uh, and when we come back, Graham Vice joins us from Governing Magazine. Thanks again to Chris Liu from the Miller this. Center is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from the Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, We put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is no longer just one woman coming forward with accusations against Brett Kavanaugh. Now it is at least two, maybe three, maybe four. So when is he just going to drop out? Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we are on a Tuesday, September 25. Uh, It is The Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, back with you after a little detour yesterday on my part out to San Antonio, Texas, uh, speaking with the Council of State Retail Associations uh, on um, the topic of how to make Washington work again. And I just said, it's impossible. Forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> it's a short panel. Don't even try. Yeah, really getting their money's worth, huh, Bill? <laughs> and do you really want it to work? <laughs> At any rate. And while I was gone, thanks to Peter Ogburn for keeping the uh, good ship Bill Press afloat. Uh, we're back with you with all the news of the day, and there is a lot going on. Every time I go away, the world blows up. Yeah. Uh, and as it did uh, yesterday with Rod, Rod Rosenstein, Summoned to the White House, a deputy attorney general to either resign or be fired. Neither happened. And with yet one more accuser coming forward against uh, um, um, Brett Kavanaugh. And as I said, maybe three and maybe four. Uh, and to, to help us through all of that and more, Graham Vise, who is with uh, Governing Magazine now. Good, Good morning. friend, joins us in studio. All the way from Westerly, Rhode Island. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I now live here, but you yes. Live here, yes right. But we know your roots. That's true. Yes, right. you do. And it's a great place. <laughs> Anyhow, look forward to hearing from you. Uh, what do you think about the news of the day? Big question today. Should Brett Kavanaugh withdraw his nomination? Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. 
Graham and I will get into it with all of you, the news of the day. But first, Peter. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, are you a Scrabble player? Uh, you know, yeah, I love it. I don't do it often, but well, yeah. you know, there are some new rules for Scrabble. Mm. Merriam-Webster has the official Scrabble Players Dictionary, and that yeah. is sort of considered to be the Bible for all Scrabble players. They are now, they just put out their sixth edition, which uh-huh. includes 300 new words. I know. So it's like a whole new game. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. new game. Yeah. Uh, there are words like twerk. Oh, wow. Do you know what twerking is, Graham? Thank you, Miley Cyrus. I know yes, Graham yeah, knows right. what twerking is. <laughs> right, I know what twerking uh, is. <laughs> beat down. Beat down is now an accepted word. Sriracha is now an accepted word. Uh, and this is actually one that players have been waiting for. They've been trying to use this for so long that they can now use it. It's a two-letter word. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. Okay is now accepted. Definitely a word. Yeah, Yeah. okay is a word. But sometimes Uh, it's okay, A-Y. Okay, yes. A-Y, right, which, 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 by the way, you are able to use. You were able uh, to use I, I, in Scrabble you can just use before, okay. yeah. Yeah. but you uh. could not use the two-letter version of okay. You could use the four-letter, but right. not the two-letter. Hmm. So it's a question if you want to use sort of a utility play with the shorter version or right. a longer word for more points. It's all about strategy, all Graham. About strategy. You get it. You get it. <laughs> you get it. All right, so we know that the midterm elections are coming up. It's going to really be a big deal. If you want to help out, here is one thing you can do. You can eat more ice cream. Oh, all right. Ben and ben Jerry. Ben and Jerry. Ben and yes. Jerry announced. By the way, our buddy Ben Cohen is going to be in studio next week. Come on. Uh, oh, good. Is press show favorite? He's, <laughs> oh, yeah. He's coming several times. We love him because he always brings ice he cream. He always brings yeah, ice yeah, cream. Yeah. yeah, he always brings ice cream. Uh, so the, <laughs> Ben and Jerry announced that they are going to come up with seven new ice cream flavors and flavor names that capture the essence of seven different congressional candidates. These are candidates from Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, Iowa, California, uh, all, all, Kansas. They're sort of all over the place. And they're saying that we want to come up with new flavors that support these candidates. So when they release these flavors, if you buy them, a portion of the proceeds will go to those candidates. Mm. Just seven candidates? That's well, I mean, that's a lot of ice cream, Bill. I mean, they're, well, they, I know they're it is, make but the ice cream. there are a lot of candidates. Sure, too. yeah, but they just picked these seven that they're highlighting. Remember, they had the Bernie Sanders. That's right. Of ice cream. What mm-hmm. was it called? I forget, but it was good. Yeah, it was good. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, my question is not when are they going to vote on Brett Kavanaugh, but when is Brett Kavanaugh going to resign and withdraw his nomination? Hey, what? Don't hold your breath. Hey, what do you say, everybody? (laughs) Great to see you today. It is Tuesday, September 25, and here we are, the Bill Press Show, booming out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, of course. Joining you on the radio on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area and uh, joining you on television on Free Speech TV coast to coast as well. Thanks so much for being there, making us your choice of the morning. And thanks also for many of you who have already signed on to our website at BillPressShow.com. 
to order a copy of my new book, Trump Must Go, The Top 100 Reasons to Dump Trump and One to Keep Him, but also those of you who have added uh, and joined me in continuing to add more reasons because we know one thing, there are a lot more than 100 reasons to dump Trump. And we got that special page on our website so many of you taken advantage of. If you haven't already done so, sign on, and there's a, just easily put your name in and one reason you think uh, is important to dump Donald Trump, uh, get him out of there as soon as we can. I go into all of that on our website, BillPressShow.com. Lots going on. Graham Vice is from Governing Magazine now, staff writer here in studio with us. Hello, Graham. Great to see you. Good to see you too. Always. Yeah. What's happening around the world here? Uh, so we're we're, we're always, before we get to some of the bad news from Washington, sure. we're so focused on what's happening in Washington. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on at the state level. That's right. right. I mean, that's one of the points I, I mentioned I was at yesterday in San Antonio speaking with this Council of State Retail Associations. And these are the people who are active in the state capitals. Right. And if you look at, I mean, let's face it, Washington is broken, right? It really, it really is. I mean, the Congress is they, they control the House and the Senate and the White House, and they still can't get anything done. But the states are moving right. in a lot of areas. And in some ways that are good for progressives, and in some ways the the states are where the sort of conservative agenda has really taken root. I mean, it's, I mean, one of the things that's been amazing over the course of, for example, the Obama years when the Democratic Party was really wiped out uh, sort of in down-ballot races, including uh, at the state and local level, um, is that, you know, you look at a lot of these, uh, you know, policies that, that have been pushed by sort of movement conservatives, you know, sort of really ambitious conservative governors, people like Scott Walker. You know, uh, I think I think a lot of the the kind of day to day policymaking that uh, affects people's lives, uh, you know, in fact, doesn't come out of Washington, but comes out of, of their states and, and their cities. And so right. so that's that's a lot of what I'll be looking at. And now. as you say, it's good and bad. Right. Right. I mean, like bad. Some 20 states had have legislation to suppress the vote in some way or another, either doing away with early voting or shortening early voting or requiring the voter IDs or whatever. They're, they're not quite a poll tax, but they do that if they thought they could get away with it. I and, think. and then at the same time, like out in uh, Stockton, California, there's a young mayor who's experimenting with universal basic income, which is sort of the new one of the new progressive policy ideas. And and as you said, you know, states have have tried uh, experimenting with free college and with and with, uh, you know, and it's the single payer healthcare care story is sort of interesting in that none of them has been successful yet in, in, in sort of making it happen at the state level. And that's a whole longer discussion. But, right. Um, in preparing uh, to speak to this group uh, yesterday in San Antonio, uh, I saw, looking at this point, for, for example, there are 12 states that have introduced legislation or passed legislation to ban bump stocks. Mm -hmm. Okay. After Las Vegas, the Congress was going to do that. Uh, yep. Everybody said, oh, every, nobody could vote against it. Well, they haven't done it yet. Right? 12 states have. Right. Uh, 47 states have passed cybersecurity laws. Yep. 47 states. Congress can't get its act together to pass anything on cybersecurity. In fact, one of the first stories I wrote for governing was about how the state of California has a whole new office sort of within the Secretary of State's office, which is entirely devoted to 
basically election cybersecurity and and was spurred by the the Russian attack of the 2016 election. And to your point, you know, there's a lot of concern about how there are some states that are taking action. But this question of whether or not the federal government under Donald Trump, who who seems not to want to uh, seriously grapple with uh, the threat posed by Russia, which helped him in 2016, uh, you know, the sort of states are moving forward in a way that maybe the federal government is not. Uh, another example, last week in San Francisco, Governor Jerry Brown held a two or three day conference on climate change and a summit on climate change for right. leaders from all around the world, uh, every state represented. And um, in the middle of that, uh, one example of how California is charting its own path uh, where the Trump administration says, well, those new CAFE standards, the new fuel efficiency standards that were adopted with the total support of the auto industry under Barack Obama, uh, we're going to roll those back. Instead of 55 miles a gallon, we're going to go back to 37 and a half or something like that. And California says, oh, no, you can't sell that car in California. Right. And there are like a dozen or more states that have joined California and said, we're going to adopt the California standard. So they're saying basically... We don't care what Donald Trump says. Right. We're going to take climate change seriously, and we're going to have fuel-efficient cars in the United States. We know we can build them. We're going to build them. And then Detroit's going to have to deal with yep. it. And a final point, which is that uh, that after Donald Trump uh, and the administration <laughs> declared that they were going to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord and then sort of change the um, the environmental policies, climate policies of the, of the federal government, uh, if I recall, there was a sort of... Uh, coalition of states and 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 uh, cities in in you know America largely uh, run by Democrats but I, I'm not sure uh, exclusively um, which basically said you know even if the federal government isn't you know gonna t- gonna take action on this we will just continue to do our work in coalition together you know and that's the best we can do so we we use that phrase uh, the laboratories of democracy absolutely. Um, and I think it's more true now maybe than ever before, uh, almost of necessity. Uh, right? Absolutely. When you, have a, when you have a federal government that is just stalemated, not get checkmated, not getting anything done, then the states say, okay, well, we'll just do what we can at the state level. Right. I mean, Demo- we can't solve all problems there, but sure. – you can do a lot. Right. And, you know, Democrats and progressives true. obviously tend to believe in, uh, you know, federal action. But at the moment, they're, <laughs> they're not in a position to take any. So it's, you know, the, the states are where they can, as you said, experiment and, so, and try to move forward. So states are where the action is, which is, pardon me, which is why um, these governor's races in, uh, around the country, and there's so many up this year, are really, really important. Absolutely. Uh, and state legislative races And state as legislative well. races as well. Um, and one thing, you know, uh, I've been following, uh, uh, just to give you an example of a uh, state-level uh, question that's going to be on the ballot that actually has huge national implications, uh, the state of Oregon, for example, uh, has a ballot measure which, as far as I'm uh, aware, is the only serious immigration ballot measure uh, sort of statewide in any state in the country this fall. Here's Donald Trump's signature issue at a time when mm-hmm. uh, the federal government is 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 you know rearing to deport undocumented immigrants and and sort of move forward with a restric- restrictionist agenda. The state of Oregon has a sanctuary state law where basically the um, hmm. state and local <laughs> police forces are prohibited under law from. Uh, 
going basically from 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 interfering with federal immigration issues where the only crime that the person has committed is to be you know to 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 be here on doc in an undocumented way to be sort of out of step with federal immigration law and so um there is now going to be an up or down vote a referendum on this sanctuary state law in Oregon uh, this this fall in November. And you might say, well, Oregon's a fairly blue state. You know, it's on the West Coast. Uh, this should be uh, something that, that, that Democrats and progressives don't have to worry about. The polling does show that the uh, preserving the sanctuary state law is ahead. So let, let me just make sure I understand. Yes. The current law. Yes. Oregon is a sanctuary, sanctuary state, state. Law. Correct. Correct. So what's on the ballot would be to overturning it. overturn it. Yeah. That was placed on the ballot by you know a, 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 enough signatures. Enough on signatures, it. you know, organized okay. by like, anti-immigration, like, like the referendum process in California. Groups. That's right. Yeah. And what's interesting about that, as I say, yeah. you know, yeah. I think it's likely that the that the uh, sanctuary state law will be upheld. But four years ago, in 2014, voters statewide had another ballot measure, which was, do we support uh, drivers? cards, essentially driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants. And that failed statewide. So basically the voters said, we don't want to give you know driver's licenses to the undocumented in Oregon. So there is precedent in a lot of this anti-immigration group that is, uh, I believe it's called Oregonians for Immigration Reform, which is spearheading this effort to uh, overturn the sanctuary state law. Uh, they point to this vote four years ago that suggests you know that maybe they can win this time. So th- this is an example of national immigration groups are looking at this Oregon race as a kind of bellwether, as a kind of, uh, you know, uh, case study that if anti-immigration forces can succeed in a blue state and have bragging rights about that they were able to do this and sort of advance the the sort of Trump agenda of immigration restriction and and uh, and sort of cracking down on the undocumented, uh, that that could have lots of, uh, you know, national implications as well. Well, there are lots of sanctuary cities. Sure. Um, I didn't know there were any sanctuary states. Is Oregon the only one? I don't think so. I think I, I'd have to look, but I, I think there are others. Um, and and again, I think that, you know what's important to point out, and what and what Democrats and and uh, and uh, pro immigration uh, groups would point out is that this doesn't do anything necessarily to prevent law enforcement from. Uh, you know, uh, holding accountable people who commit crimes, people who are violent. I mean, if you right. yeah. if these people are doing that, they can you know still be uh, you know prosecuted and 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 you know face the justice system. But uh, it, the question is, if you're here and the only thing, the only violation is that you're here illegally, you're here as an undocumented person. Uh, should should the state government and local police resources be aiding? I mean, the, you know, the phrase that the activist uses are should the state of Oregon and its localities be part of Trump's deportation force? Right. You know, be part of the of the federal effort to to crack down on immigrants. Well, uh, it's good to know about that. I have family and friends and a lot of them in, in Oregon. Uh, we've got to get the word out and make sure they vote the right way. What's interesting about Oregon, too, is measure 105 is what it's is called. It? Measure yeah. 105. Thank yeah. you. Uh, is that um, Oregon also has uh, they vote by mail mm-hmm. entirely? There are no polling places. I mean, it's not like you can do an absentee ballot. Everybody votes by mail and only by mail. 
which I think is a great idea, until we can vote online, which I also think is a great idea. Yeah, that's coming, I, th- I, I assume, at some point. It's uh, got it's yeah. got to. I mean, I get there are questions. We do everything else online. <laughs> yeah, no, so. seriously. If you can do your banking right. online, why can't you vote you know, online? Sec- vote, I'm sure there are going to be security You can issues, buy anything but... online. Why can't you vote online? Right. I think, you know, there's some cybersecurity sure. questions about, you know, validity and all that. But again, they know who you are when you buy anything, right? Absolutely. Uh, they they certainly can know who you are when you vote, and it would you know conceivably it could in- increase turnout significantly, particularly among young people who are digital natives and plugged uh, in. And- I, I haven't checked lately, but I know that the turnout in Oregon is higher than it is in most other mm-hmm. states because you just all you have to do is put a stamp on it and mail it back in, or maybe not even put a stamp on it. I'm not even sure. It could That's be, right. Could be pre prepaid. So they are ahead in, uh, in 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 many in many respects. Um, so, um, what are the states doing about Brett Kavanaugh? <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, I mean, I actually did a, a very quick piece on this, just just essentially saying that you know, whenever you have a conservative uh, Supreme Court nominee, there is a sense that federalism and sort of deferring to states and localities, um, you know, could be something that he does more of. You know, he's he's thought of as a a textualist and originalist. You know, uh, sort of in the more conservative Supreme Court um, tradition. But what's in, like, here's an interesting wrinkle in that. The question of do you let stand state and local laws uh, that uh, for gun control or do you as a Supreme Court justice believe in taking up cases which could sort of down state and local gun gun control laws and you know been basically say from from the highest court in the land we know that you've passed this but it's unconstitutional it violates the second amendment you we're striking it down and a lot of the experts that i that i spoke to and and, and other reporting about kavanaugh you know suggest that he you know he he's very uh you know pro pro gun rights and so and so he he may be more likely to t- want to take up and hear gun cases than uh, than the previous court had been you know so uh so which would you know obviously a, a, a large part of what the court does is determined by which cases they decide to hear right, right. from from sure. so um so so that could be an example of where it's uh, the short answer is nothing good for the cause of progressivism or or liberalism <laughs> you know it's all it's all going to be it's going to be deferring to uh, deferring to states and uh, and and potentially uh, being more aggressive on the on the on the cause of uh, of sort of gun rights or you know Second Amendment. Well, this issue has been central since the founding uh, of this country, which is uh, one of the central issues uh, is the relationship between the federal government and the state governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which issues states should be superior on or which issues only the federal government should be at, at, at a federal level. I mean, this is the basis of the Brown v. Board of Education. Yep. And I, I'm more recently of the um, uh, marriage equality and the same-sex decision, right? So um, I would one would think that a justice... A conservative justice, right, would be more supportive of the state's right and minim- minimizing the role of the federal government. Sure. And, and, and is that what 
you know, is that in the in the tradition of a Antonin Scalia that Kavanaugh purports to be? Yeah, yeah I think I think that is how he's how he's thought of. But um, but but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I think I think whether or not the judge defers to the states uh, is it's not a sort of black and white like he'll almost always defer to states or he'll almost always you know think that the federal government should have more power you know on, on the issue of guns for example he might be more likely to to overrule states or localities you know even in right. defense of you know his sort of conservative second amendment well which gets to the point I was going to make is that I do find that those people, who are the loudest in affirming states' rights, states' rights, states' rights? Uh, they not in all cases. When the state is doing something <laughs> they don't agree with, then suddenly, right? They are, you know, and and you know, to be not fair, for states' to rights. To be fair, the argument is that there's a sort of higher cause, right? That that this there's a yeah. fundamental right to 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 we, bear arms, right? We we support states' rights except when the states are doing something we don't like, right? And I I don't think there's anybody who's more hypocritical on that than Jeff Sessions you know uh, who very aggressively a, an aggressive conservative states rights person mm-hmm. and yet right now he's saying no states cannot legalize the recreational use of marijuana right but because there's a federal law and if they do we're going to enforce that federal that's right law. I mean and and, and that's, that's what, just one example that's, yeah, it's it's a good example and uh, and I think that's a fair point and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, and I, sh- I suppose the, the the final point I should make on states uh, and and uh, Brett Kavanaugh is assuming he is put on the court and assuming that Susan Collins uh, is is wrong when she says he won't overturn Roe v Wade I think most of us assume that he would vote to overturn Roe v Wade I'm, I'm not uh, sure with respect to the senator what where she is uh, you know getting that uh, that impression that he uh, would not uh, vote to overturn the law, uh, then what will there'll be a really interesting fight where the abortion issue could move to states, you know, and so then you have a situation where blue states presumably will codify the right to choose into law, red states will not, and will can you know, sort of chip away at it, uh, and then you have this kind of patchwork nation where women in in blue states, affluent women, uh, are able to to get an abortion if they want to, and uh, in red states, uh, largely they they will not be. But look, on that point, Susan Collins is is just kidding herself. I mean, she's That's just playing games. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh is. Were he on the court, he has a vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think a lot he of conservatives be, are acting that way, as though you know he would overturn Roe v. Wade. They're, they are. He's on the list for that reason, right? Among other reasons, right. he's on the list for that reason. Ralph Reed said last week, if the Republicans don't put Brett Kavanaugh on the court, right, we're going to we're not going to turn out and vote in the midterms because. <laughs> What do we think that's about? Right, exactly. <laughs> they want him on the court. <laughs> so, they support him. They'll put up with anything else that he has done right. or anything else that Donald Trump did in order to get another anti-Roe v. Wade vote on the court. They've you know, got one with Gorsuch. have another one with uh, Kavanaugh. Eric Erickson. Uh, Don't had, even get me started. Has been all over Twitter and has been the most vocal supporter, yes. I think, yeah. of Brett Kavanaugh. And he, he makes no bones about it. This is a vote. He said, that's what it's all about. This is right? what it's all about. Yeah. This is what it's all about. In fact, he went on this weird tangent yeah. yesterday yes. all about how Democrats are serving Moloch it, and it, not it, serving the country. It, it is not. <laughs> it was not just yesterday. It's been a like, a multi day sort of meltdown. It's it's. I'm. He's the man is not well. It's really. It's it's it's. Uh, 
It's it really good. is fascinating, yeah. like what it is, some of the stuff that he's put out there. I'm just looking at some of his tweets, and it's just, it is, his Twitter page is now just a Brett Kavanaugh fan site. That's all, <laughs> that's like, like, that's all This is a is. Brett Kavanaugh fan account. Yeah, yeah that's, all, that's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. And the argument is basically, you know, as Peter just said, that we have, that the value of getting the guy on the court is supersedes you know all of these allegations i mean erickson yeah. also has been you know one of the sort of uh, I, I would say some of the ugliest rhetoric just basically completely trashing these women who have who have come forward and, and not believing them yeah. uh, at all and so but there's you know what can you say by the way on the on on this question a little program note here on this question which keeps coming up of why didn't they come forward earlier why did they wait so long you know um, nobody could speak to that better than Melanie Sloan, who is our guest in the uh, next half hour, uh, the founder of Summer Strategies, and herself a victim of sexual, sexual harassment by a leading member of Congress, who can speak to that uh, why and answer and answer that question hopefully once and for all. Although, um, of course, Arne Hatch or Mitch McConnell or Trent Lott uh, or I'm sorry, or Donald Trump rather, why well, I said Trent Lott, Donald Trump would never believe that. Before we let you go, Graham, now that you're looking at the states, yes. Um what governors really impressed you? Who are who, who are out there that you think are outstanding governors today? Well, that's a I mean that's a big question in terms of which governors uh impress me. I think uh I think in terms of governors races uh, for for this year, you know, we're all looking at uh you know how well will Stacey Abrams do in Georgia. Georgia. Uh you know, we're looking at um Florida, Florida, absolutely. Andrew Gillum, uh, you know, who again? I mean, when he won the primary with the support of Bernie Sanders, there was all this hand wringing about have they gone too far left? Right. Is this out of control? At the moment, he appears to be ahead in the polls, so we shall see. Um, uh, but but there are lots of interesting uh, interesting races to to watch. I, I think also um, uh, even in uh, my home state of Rhode Island, which uh, mm-hmm. you where you have visited and and uh, and vacationed, uh, the uh, the governor there, who is an incumbent uh, Democrat and one of the only Democratic women uh, governors in the Gina country, Raimondo. Gina Raimondo, is expected to face a close uh, re-election fight with the Republican uh, Alan Fung, the mayor of Cranston. So uh, lots of exciting races to watch at the gubernatorial level. Right. Um, the one that uh, I find uh, getting more and more attention these days is the governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee, former member of Congress, now head of the Democratic Governors Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, clearly interested in um, stepping up in 2020 as one of a uh, a couple of dozen now um, potential candidates in 2020. Well, right, and they're uh, but getting getting more and more attention. I think. Uh, and you think he he could be a yeah. good contender? Right. I mean, my my feeling is the governors make the best candidates for president, mm-hmm. not members of the Senate. Uh, and if you look at both the Republican and Democratic Party, I mean that that's the way it's been. That's right. You know, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, right. Uh, yeah, it used Ronald to be, Reagan. That was why it was so strange to have Obama because it used to be that senators really were not right uh, contenders. And like well, in two thousand eight, first senator since J- JFK, as right, I, I believe, right. right? And he was running against a senator in two thousand eight. So, so it was sort of that was strange. But um, no, so it, I keep looking for the governors that might emerge. 
right? But, as, but Jerry Brown has, is not running. He's not going not to change his mind at the last minute. And uh, Jerry Brown <laughs> is not running. He's building a house up in Colusa County, Mountain House, and uh, that's going to be not that he's going to disappear into the mountains of <laughs> no. California, but uh, he's not going to be running for president yeah. this time. All. all right. <laughs> Next time around, maybe. <laughs> in his in his nineties. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> hey, Graham, it's great to see you. Good to see you. Thank you as you always can for having Graham me. Vice at governing governing dot com. Uh, this is a new job. Good to have you here, and um, we'll see you again. Melanie Sloan again from Summer Strategies joining us next here uh, in studio. Why did these women wait so long? Yeah, do you really ask? Are we still asking that question? Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And here we are on a Tuesday, Tuesday, September 25. So good to see you today. And thanks for being part of The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, as always, and our studio on Capitol Hill. Uh, one more reminder. There are uh, even more reasons since the last time I saw you. Uh, why we need to get rid of Donald Trump. That's my latest book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Uh, remind you to go to our website, BillPressShow.com, not only to find out more about the book, where you can find a copy of the book and purchase a copy of the book, but also uh, how you can add your own reasons. as a special page there uh, to keep the list growing. It's now way over 100 uh, I've added some more. Many of you have. So we this is sort of an interactive process, interactive book, uh, all available at BillPressShow.com. Uh, the question that Mitch McConnell keeps asking, Donald Trump keeps asking, Aaron Hatch keeps asking, when any woman comes forward, particularly now against Brett Kavanaugh, with stories of sexual assault or harassment that happened years ago, is why did they wait so long? Uh, we turn for an answer to Melanie Sloan, our good friend, uh, neighbor on the Hill, uh, founder of Summer Strategies, uh, and we know her previously as head of uh, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Hi, Melanie. It's good to see you. Nice to be with you. You had your own experience. You waited a long time before you came forward. But why, why would a woman like Christine Ford or now Deborah Ramirez wait so long? What? What's the, I can't believe we're so ask, asking that question, but a lot of people are. Well, it's because the consequences are so severe. Um, first of all, you're, so many people are likely to question your veracity or call you crazy. And who, who possibly wants that? Uh, friends and family are likely to say, you know, really, do you need to do this? Do you need to go forward? So you might not get the level of support you're hoping for. And you endanger um, all of your current jobs, you know, your, your position with your employer, because people will suddenly think you're a troublemaker and you might not be worth the, the trouble if you're looking for a new job. Um, so there are so many reasons. And if it's in politics, it's even worse, because if it's you talk about somebody on your own side, uh, you're disloyal. And if you go after somebody, if you make an allegation against somebody on the other side, it's for partisan advantage. So there's actually just no winning. It's not like there is any time where somebody makes such an allegation and everybody uh, comes around them, surrounds them with support. That just doesn't happen. So with Christine Ford, what we're told is that she did not at this uh, her, what happened at this party, but she did not tell, of course, the parents of the, the, the whoever owned the house were not there. But she didn't tell her own parents. 
She didn't tell authorities. She didn't tell her teachers. She didn't tell anybody. Is that unusual? That's not unusual, and particularly not uh, back in the 80s. Uh, I was also in school in the 80s. I'm her generation. And this was not a time when anybody, I don't think the phrase date rape was out there. And uh, there, this was not something taught in schools, like this, these issues of consent uh, and how inappropriate it is for uh, this kind of thing to go on was not discussed as much at that time. And it's really only in the past 10 years that we've seen a lot of education around these issues. So she would have been ashamed. Uh, of her part in it. Also, um, as we see even now when we talk about many of these cases on college campuses, uh, there's alcohol involved and she was underage and she would have known that she could have gotten in trouble for drinking. So she was, you know, at a, she might not have been allowed to be at a party like that. So she would have had to confess a bunch of things that she might have been worried she would get in trouble also. And she also probably didn't think Brett Kavanaugh uh, and Mark Judge would get in trouble for what they did. She probably thought also somehow it was her fault that if she hadn't been drinking, if she hadn't gone into the room, so there would have been a lot of guilt included. And, and what what do you think about the president's uh, 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 sort of suggestion that if it had been as serious as she said, she would have called or should have called the FBI? A yeah, 15 I don't think that's right. Teenager. I don't even think a 15 year old may know that you can call the FBI. It seems very unlikely. Um, and the thought of calling even, say, the local police, I think, wouldn't have occurred to her because she wouldn't have been sure that what happened was a crime. She wouldn't have known that. Yeah, right. Um, and when you think about this, is, it's not unusual. What, what would be unusual would be for a woman to come forward right away, correct? It would be to walk out of an office and call the cops or something. Yeah, it would be incredibly unusual. And then even if she did, the odds of somebody taking action and believing her. The Post ran a terrific piece over the weekend about a young woman named Amber Wyatt, uh, a very long piece about a girl who uh, was sexually assaulted at a party in Texas and uh, in uh, about 2008. And she reported it immediately. And basically nobody believed her. Nothing happened as a result. And she was shunned and uh, basically it ruined her life for many years. So it's not like somebody makes a report and everybody suddenly believes you and action is taken. But when I was thinking over the weekend about some of the, in since the MeTube movement, some of the more um, publicized cases that we've dealt with, I mean, starting with Harvey Weinstein, but going up to Les Moonves through Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer, I mean, help me out, some of the others that were along the way, right, who who were lost their jobs, basically, because of this, Roger Ailes. In, all, in every one of those cases, I believe, these are things that happened years before right. that came forward. Right. right. Years, years so before. It's I mean, not we're talking unusual. decades. Yeah, decades exactly. Ago. Not yes. unusual. And that's also even in those cases with adult women, uh, the cases of Harvey Weinstein and yeah, uh, and Charlie yeah. Rose. We're talking about adults who would have had much more awareness that um, that some of this was happening could be illegal than, say, a 15-year-old girl who'd been drinking at a party. It was the at, – during the 80s and 90s particularly, was it sort of believed that this was um, – this kind of went along with the territory? I mean, this was – I think it certainly was believed that this is not unusual. Maybe not went along with the territory. I mean, nobody ever deserves to be assaulted. No. And you know, no. the way um, she reports having uh, Kavanaugh put her his hand over her mouth in particular that seems you know incredibly scary and traumatic. Uh, but I would say that it's not unusual either. Uh, you know, she would not have been alone in experiencing something like that at a, a party in someone's basement when the parents weren't home and everybody was drinking. I mean, I can tell you. So I my first 
job, not my first job, but one of my first jobs was as a legislative aide in the California State Legislature in Sacramento, a chief of staff to a state senator. Uh, and sexual harassment was rampant in that capital on the part of m- m- members sure. of the legislature. I think I even mean, today they've had problems in the California yes, State Legislature. Have, right. <laughs> but I mean, the secretaries who worked there, I mean, they were all subject to this. And I think, you know, it was, I hate to say it, but I mean, I think they, some of them sort of accepted it, didn't like it, but it was part of the job. Right. You know? And I think this is and actually. I'm not saying it went so far as to actual sexual intercourse or whatever, but just being treated that yes. way and made fun of and flirted with and appalled and, you know, and. Right. All of that. And I think that's why we're even seeing a generational divide among women. Older women uh, uh, often feel seem to feel that this is you know not unusual. The kind of stuff that happened with Kavanaugh or the harassment you're talking about. This was just you had to you had to deal with it. It, it was awful. You hated it. But it was just part of part of the deal. Right. Whereas younger right. women are much more intolerant, actually, in the coming of age now in the Me Too movement. And they Good for them. I mean, I'm not. But yeah, they, they are yeah. much stronger against this kind of stuff. And that's what we see a divide there. Right. Now, when you look at this Senate Judiciary Committee and you look at uh, everybody's raised the analogy to back to the Anita Hill and the Clarence Thomas things. But in a sense, nothing is in that little world. Nothing has changed in the last. 27 years, whatever. Oh, right. right. You know, just like they talked about, uh, Clarence Thomas had this phrase, it was a high-tech lynching. Now we're seeing it's a drive-by character assassination. It seems like the same kind of phrase created by Republican consultants, and they're using it. They're trotting it out over and over. We heard this from Lindsey Graham. We even have some of the same members of the Judiciary Committee Mm -hmm. making some of the same kind of comments, like Orrin Hatch, uh, totally dismissive today of Christine Blasey Ford, the way he was uh, Anita Hill in the 90s. The difference here today is that there are four women uh, on the Democratic side of the Judiciary Committee, and we do have the Me Too movement that I think will not allow uh, the same kind of awful treatment that Anita Hill suffered to be visited upon Christine Blasey Ford. Right. Um, In your own case, uh, you were an aide, we've talked about this before, to uh, then-Congressman John Conyers. Right. uh, And experienced some uh, uh, inappropriate behavior on his part as well, right? Right. What did you do about it? Well, for a long time, I just dealt with it because that is, again, what you do. But I did actually try to talk to my boss about it, and I even tried to talk to other people about it. And as so often is the case, you know, he was very powerful, and I was just a staffer, and I was completely replaceable. Um, I mean, we're all replaceable, but, like, my... You know, the power dynamic was obvious and he was more important than I was and nobody was ever going to talk to him about it. Uh, so nothing nothing happened. Uh, and in fact, when I tried to talk to some people about it, um, they said that uh, I actually talked to a reporter at one point and then he tried to confirm it. And this other staffer told the reporter that I was unstable. And so the reporter hmm. said, a reporter who I'd known with and worked with for a long time on other pieces, because uh, I did crime legislation, was my beat, uh, my uh, what I worked on. And he said, well, she says you're unstable. And so I can't, I can't do anything about this. So, I mean, I was, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, whatever else I am, unstable <laughs> is, is not among those words. <laughs> no, Donald Trump is the one who's stable, right? <laughs> if you don't believe it, just ask him. Did, but did you go to any law enforcement authorities at that time? No, no, and that would never have occurred to me. And of course, I, I also well, would never have wanted anything to be public. But you were, again, you're an adult staffer in the Congress, <laughs> right? 
and it did not occur to you to go to law enforcement, let right. alone the FBI. Well, in, the, in this kind of situation, right, on, in politics, you know, what you really just want is to make it stop. And you would not like the, the idea of, you know, uh, going public with allegations against a member of Congress whom you work, you know, you'll never get another job in Washington if you if you do that. And that is, in fact, one, one of the things we've seen. A woman who was a top communication staffer, I think, for Blake Farenthold, uh, congressman from Texas who has been, mm-hmm. uh, had a lot of misconduct and was forced out. Um, she's only been working as a babysitter since she came forward. She's been unable to get a job. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And Blake Farenthold has lost, lost his job, did yeah. lose, end yeah. up losing his job. But she so can't get another job. Just because she, she came talked. forward. Yeah. Um, what is happening? I know you wrote, were one of those who sent a letter to Congress last week in the midst of all of this. What's happening with with Congress adopting rules to deal with sexual harassment in the Congress? Very little seems to be happening with that, and that is part of the problem. Um, in the wake of all the allegations about members of Congress last year, there was a flurry of activity in Congress, right. and yeah. uh, legislation was brought they up, and they said adopt, they were going to pass it. They, they were, were going to change adopt it. New rules and all this stuff. And then right? everything seems to have died. There seems there's a dispute between the versions between the House and the Senate, but honestly, it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like the Congress or either the Republicans on either side have any interest in passing this legislation. And so there is this effort to uh, push this forward by a group of four. Uh, former staffers, um, many of whom have had bad experiences in Congress. And that's why I signed the letter as one of those people. But there's a, a huge uh, uh, reform harassment movement of many staffers, um, including those who didn't suffer any misconduct, who have been pushing this. And hopefully Congress will adopt it. And what are you soon. asking them to, to, to do or what, what reforms uh, to, are you looking for? Um, to, enact, uh, to enact reforms that would make it easier to report that would offer more protections for those who reported and increase the consequences for members of Congress, including forcing them to pay for their uh, pay any settlements. Uh, and make them transparent? And and make them, yes, include transparency. And, and what is the case today? I mean, it's still... Uh, you know, uh, as far as I know, dragged, each, dragged it, out and hidden. Or? The, oh, yeah. Everything is very hidden. I mean, the process is ridiculous. Um, um, a member, if you um, report something like this in the House, uh, the the person who does the reporting that has to undergo counseling by this office as if you need counseling for reporting misconduct. And there's this long delay before any action will be taken and you have to keep it entirely confidential. Um, and so uh, nobody learns anything about it. Um, so it's a it's a process that's designed only to protect members of Congress and not at all those who allege the misconduct. Which may be the reason why, I mean, I've been surprised that there haven't been, why we've heard, you know, more and more people like in the entertainment industry or, or professional sports or whatever, there have been relatively few cases of members of Congress. Right. Come public. Yes. Well, you mentioned Farenthold, but does anybody, well, and now Franken in the Senate. Right. Uh, right? There was a the guy um, from Arizona, Trent, um, I forget his last name. Trent Franks. Trent Franks. Trent Franks. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, but you're right. There, there haven't been very many. Um, obviously, Al Franken. Um, the but, ones yeah. that we know about. There must be a lot. More. Oh, there are, yeah, legions. <laughs> let's just say legions. Um, and I think most women decide this is just something to deal with because also they've watched how it's played out for some of the women who have come forward, and it isn't all positive, you know. So, uh, and these are people who are often younger staffers and. They have a whole career to have in Washington. They're looking for other jobs. You know, part of the reason I was able to speak, and it wasn't an easy decision even for me, was, you know, I didn't need somebody to give me another job on Capitol Hill. I wasn't mm-hmm. looking for that. If I were looking for that, I think that coming forward would be— You would have made a different decision. I might decision. have made a different decision, yeah. Right. What impact has the um, hashtag MeToo movement made? 
I think it's been huge. I think we have seen more and more people come forward. We do see the level of support we're seeing for Christine Blasey Ford that all these young women and, and, and men as well who came to the Capitol yesterday and there was this walkout at one o'clock around the country to support right. her. Yeah. We didn't see any of those kind of things in, with Anita Hill. I mean, I think there was a lot. Of, there were many women during the Anita Hill hearings, which I remember watching on television who thought, oh, yeah, I understand. I know what she went through. But there wasn't this kind of outpouring of support in the way we are seeing now. And I think that is all because of the Me Too movement. Um, we see, you know, actions every single day on the Me Too movement. And then we also once uh, Donald Trump made that tweet, you know, accusing her of failing to report and telling saying how terrible it was she didn't report back when it happened. We saw the the new hashtag uh, why I didn't report. Right. I was and just going to ask you about that. It's, it's <laughs> who are sharing article. their stories about that, something that happened way in the past and discussing why, because it's just so common for women not to report. Right. They're coming out. The New York Times has a story on that this morning with were several women who came out yesterday. Uh, a lot of them in the rain in front of the Supreme Court yesterday, and this new hashtag, yeah, why I, that's what it is, exactly, right? Why, yes, hashtag why I didn't report, right? Exactly. Uh, with, with, uh, with, with many, many, many stories. Um, why do you believe won't the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, take time out and have the FBI investigate these, uh, these, investiga- or these allegations? Because I think they want to push through the Kavanaugh nomination as quickly as possible before the midterms. Uh, they've always uh, taken the position. If, if they had done the kind of vetting they should have done in the first place, we might not even be in this position. Um, I once worked on the Senate Judiciary Committee doing judicial nominations, actually, Aha. Okay. <laughs> many years yeah. ago. And usually there are long investigations and there were huge numbers of documents, as I know you've talked about before, that that should have been turned over, that weren't turned over. And, you know, when people like John Cornyn say, well, there have been more documents for Brett Kavanaugh than anyone. I mean, a lot of those are duplicates and they weren't, you know, he just had more documents. So if you have yeah. more, yeah. you have to turn over more. It seems like a, a silly argument to me, but they didn't do the, uh, the documents. And it's all because, again, they were rushing through. Uh, they're trying to rush this through as quickly as possible before the midterms. And now they're going to support Kavanaugh no matter what. And I think they're not doing this FBI investigation because they don't want to know exactly what happened. It also makes no sense that if they say they want to get to the bottom of this and, uh, and really get to the facts and accuse her of lying, why would they not subpoena Mark Judge? Mark Judge is the other person who Christina Blasey Ford said was in the room at the time and involved in the uh, assault. And the Senate Judiciary Committee has specifically said they're not subpoenaing Mark Judge. They don't want him there. So they're not going to have any witnesses. So it's just going to be Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. And originally Grassley, Senator Grassley, the chairman, was even going to put them at the same table, which is horrendous and just shows exactly how insensitive the male members of the Judiciary Committee can be that he would have them both at the same table. How long would it take for an FBI investigation? You know, it might only take a few days. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, if they had actually called for it last week, they might have had be- it completed by now. Right, right. <laughs> and important because uh, for that if you lie to the FBI, you're in trouble, right? Right, right. right. It's so a this is one way of, to get right. to the facts, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a crime. To, it's called the False Statement Act. And if you lie to the FBI, you can be charged with making a false statement. And it would certainly be interesting to have Mark Judge, who's talked a lot about Brett Kavanaugh and all of his drinking and all of the conduct he was involved in, have to talk to the FBI and know that he was facing possible charges if he lied there. And, you know, um, like I saw that Lindsey Graham said, uh, don't get me started on Instagram. <laughs> he, he's just he's just become such a sellout. I can't believe it. Where he said, in effect, I want to hear from her, but I don't care what she says. I'm still voting for Kavanaugh. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's most of the, the I think yeah, that's the, the entire Republican. Judiciary Committee. Maybe sure. not Jeff Flake. <laughs> I think they've all decided. 
Yeah, no, exactly. But he also said, uh, I don't I didn't need to hear from Mark Judge because I know what he's going to say. Yeah. Well, no, you don't really. Right. I mean, right. Not un- not the a, second under judge oath. saying we don't have to have a trial. Right. I know what everyone's going to say. I know what everybody's going to say. No, you really don't right. until you put them under oath, until you cross-examine them, you ask them questions. And if they really believe that Mark Judge is telling the truth, then let him say the truth under oath, right? right? Why wouldn't you? I mean, he might come in and be really believable and say, yeah, we did a lot of drinking, but this didn't happen. I would have remembered. Whatever, whatever, right. you know. But. You know, the, the other thing that might have changed things here is I think is it if, says a lot that they don't want him to testify because they're afraid of what he might uh, say. Yes, of course. Absolutely. And, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, he could have handled this a lot differently, too. It's clear how much he's been drinking, how much drinking he was involved in. Like, there's right. another report today from a, his roommate at Yale who talked about it. And you have his own words on tape where he talks about, you know, what stayed at Georgetown, did happen at Georgetown Prep, should stay at Georgetown Prep. It's clear that he had and a problem. And he was king of the 100 kegs club. Right. That was their goal. So right. he could have said, you know, there were times back in high school and college where I was involved in such heavy drinking. And I can't honestly remember everything that happened during the those periods, because I think that's even possible. Um, but I am I acknowledge that I could have done bad things in some of those periods. And I am sorry. And I am deeply sorry. And here's I'm a changed man now. I take responsibility for my conduct. And now I lead an entirely different life. We saw that actually with President George Bush, who had all those drinking yes, problems younger. Yes, and point. then when he was older, he like took response. He stopped drinking. He took responsibility. And he did you know, there's a lot we can say negative about George Bush, but he did. He he, he changed. And um, Brett Kavanaugh could have had a conversation like that, which I think would have made a, a made some difference to a lot of people acknowledging I, yeah, his behavior. No, uh, absolutely. I agree. I've made that point that I think uh, he could have gotten by with if he started right there. Right now, it has become, hasn't it, an, an entire it reached an entire new level when Brett Kavanaugh goes on. Fox News. This is a Supreme Court nominee who appears on the Republican TV channel uh, to defend themselves. You know, shades of and memories of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton on 60 Minutes, Roy Moore, Richard Nixon and the checker speech. Peter, let's just play that one where he even talked about his lack of sexual experience bragging about in effect that he didn't have sex until he was, I don't know, a junior in college or something. I never sexually assaulted anyone. I did not have sexual intercourse or anything close to sexual intercourse in high school or for many years thereafter. Uh, and Martha McCallum says, you mean you were a virgin? He said, yeah, I was a virgin until years later. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, aside from being TMI. It doesn't uh, even matter. Like it has nothing to do with what happened. She didn't accuse him of yeah. sexual, uh, of actual rape. But it actually raises it now. <laughs> it makes it a political Right. He's just like another political candidate, right? Yes. Instead of a nominee to the Supreme Court. And by the way, should he be confirmed to the Supreme Court, there's certainly the possibility of impeachment proceedings later. If the House takes uh, if the House becomes democratic and decides to then in- undertake a thorough investigation and get all of Brett Kavanaugh's papers, for example, um, and go through and have ask for an FBI investigation, we could see some problems for Brett Kavanaugh down the road. In other words, even if he's confirmed, this may not be over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me get your thoughts on Bill Cosby, too. Today, it so happens, uh, I'll talk about another huge sexual assault case. Bill Cosby will be in the courtroom where the judge will determine uh, what, how much time, if any, that he serves in federal prison. What do you think is going to happen? What should happen? 
I think he seems likely to get some prison time here, um, given the number of allegations against Bill Cosby, and there, there are myriad num- of them, and he is, uh, he's utterly unrepentant for all of it. Uh, I, it seems to me that despite his advanced age, uh, I still think he's likely to get some jail time, and I think that will be um, it's a long time coming. Right. Um, and again, these are women who waited a long time to come forward. Yeah. And, and at first, many of them were... You know, rebuked as not being trustworthy, or especially because you know, Bill Cosby's image was so you know per- benign, right? Gold <laughs> diggers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that what 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 they went through. Yeah, but their stories were so uh, similar. It's, it's hard to discount the number of stories that are so repeatedly you know this, the same with him drugging them, and uh, it's really quite awful the things that happen. Do you believe Christine Ford? Uh, I do believe Christine Ford. And the main reason I believe her is I just there's just no reason somebody would come forward and do this to their lives. This woman has now had death threats because she's come forward and talked about this. And she talked about, you know, moving across the country to get away from all of this. So I think it's um, it's it's hard to imagine why she would do this. There's you know never been any suggestion for any reason that she has any agenda here. She's not a political person. She may have voted Democrat, but she's like she's. She's a highly respected PhD in California, and I just don't know why you'd do this to yourself. No one would willingly bring this on. Do you believe Deborah Ramirez? Um, I have to admit that I find the Deborah Ramirez story a little more complicated just because in her own words, she talks about having memory gaps and she talks about how some of this has come to her more recently. Um, so I'm a little more troubled, but on this, by the same token, when I look at what the... Um, Kavanaugh roommate said Mm -hmm. uh, it all seems like that seems uh, deeply possible as well and my guess is these are not the only occasions when 